All right, here we go. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Okay, today's uh, lesson, uh, the value of a soul, uh, you know, it's really cool. Um, I, I don't think I shared this with this group, and if I did, please forgive me. I don't think I did. I shared it with the singles. Uh, I met Nemesis in the gym uh, seven years ago, and I don't remember it. And so when we were doing his last study and reviewing, he goes, do you remember meeting me? I said, yeah, church, many different times. No, no, you, uh, you met me in the gym when I was in high school and invited me to church in the movie theater, and I literally couldn't remember. And what it reminded me was, he had tears in his eyes, I had tears in my eyes. Uh, I forgot, but God didn't. I forgot, but uh, Nemo didn't forget. And six months later, I met his sister in the gym, uh, and I literally went into the gym that day just to share my faith. I wasn't in there but maybe 15 minutes. And I typically don't share with women. I'm not prejudiced. I just share usually with guys. Uh, but that was the only person standing there. And, and I just invited her. And she was just so soft-hearted, so seeking, so open. She literally drove to Long Beach from the South Bay the next day, came and found us in the front of the stage at Wilson High School, somewhere we don't even normally meet, and studied the Bible and is now married to a great man living in Virginia. And through Noreen, her whole, all of her siblings now are Christians. But it just inspired me, and I hope to inspire you, that every time we share our faith, it makes a difference. The seed may not grow now to your visible eye, but it's always working and it's always growing and God is always moving and you just don't know what God is going to do. Uh, I didn't even know uh, Nemo was studying the Bible because he had uh, kind of come off and on, off and on for the last seven years, but had kept his distance. And then the guys called me saying, he's ready. I said, who? Nemo. Who's Nemo? You know, just because he had come, and I've been, since Thanksgiving of last year, I've been trying to invite him over for dinner, and he never replied to my text. Uh, blood of Jesus, man. And, um, but he went and spent time with Noreen and uh, her husband in uh, Virginia, and just had a good talk about his life, and he goes, what am I doing? And he just decided, I'm going to obey God. And once you turn yourself to the Word, the Word just changes you. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't even have to do much, just how much God had worked. Okay. We're going to uh, have some fun today, and uh, we're going to learn a lot in a very short time. We're going to read one chapter of the Bible. We'll look at a few other verses, a few quotes for you. I'll tell you a few stories, and uh, you have an assignment too. So I'd like you to go back and read 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter. Maybe read through it once, twice, three times, five times. Listen to it if you do the audio Bible. But go think about it when you think about the value of a soul. Second thing, answer this question in your mind. If I died yesterday, what would I have hoped for today? If I died yesterday, what would I hope for today? Like, what's really valuable to me? You know, um, I found this story, and then we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, our text, and I'll show you a few other verses. I found this story on the internet, and it was very intriguing. This is back from 2000, chapter, 2001, and... You look at their face, and it's, I won the lottery. They don't look very happy. And I'll tell you why they don't look very happy. Because Mary, or Martin and Kay taught in England uh, on March 5th, 2001. Uh, Kay was a, was a receptionist, and she's sitting in her office doing her thing, and she looks on the TV screen, and it says there's four more hours to claim the... Uh, un unclaimed lottery ticket for just under five million U.S. dollars because there's a 180-day window to come claim your prize. 
And, you know, people in the office are talking about it, and she's wondering how that's some poor fool. And then she looked at the numbers, and she realized, that's our numbers. And so she calls her husband, and sure enough, they had been playing the lottery twice a week for the whole year, but there's a 1 in 14 million chance that they'd ever win, so they never paid attention to the numbers or the winnings or whatever. And then it got to a point where they just play it mechanically, not thinking they're going to win, and they had won and had never turned in the ticket. The problem was they couldn't find the ticket. And they looked everywhere. For, for six months, the prize was theirs. But they didn't even know it was their, they should go claim it. And so they, they tried everything they could. They went to the, co to the company and said, this is us. We can't find the ticket. They said, well, there was a 30-day window before the 180-day window that you had to come and say, I lost my ticket. You're way past that. And maybe we could extend it to 45 days, but you're so far past that. We'll let you know. And so they couldn't sleep. They couldn't eat. They were ticked off. They were frustrated. They were dreaming about what they're going to do with their $5 million, how their life is going to be now. But the bottom line is, they never got the prize. They tried enrolling the government. They contacted all the other people that had lost their tickets and gotten their prize. They tried three unsuccessful lawsuits. They even tried to get the, you know, the, the prime minister involved. Uh, Richard Branson of Virgin Atlantic allowed him to go stay at his vacation home just to comfort, him, comfort them because they're never going to be millionaires. Got divorced over it. Depression devastated their lives because of what could have been. But it was interesting, their realism led to carelessness. And they forgot to check their numbers one crucial Wednesday night that past September. And I think for us, we don't think about checking our numbers. That our life is short. That we don't know what is going to happen today or tomorrow, the Bible says. Uh, there is a, uh, uh, a LAPD officer that was killed on Western and Torrance a week ago yesterday, 24 years old, just got out of the Marine Corps, just got out of the academy, just got out of training, and his, he was just going to start in the new division Sunday. That's today. But he was just driving his motorcycle five, a little bit before 5 p.m. last Saturday through Western and I forget the cross street, and a lady cut him off went right into the car, dead. And I just thought of, wow, here he was thinking, I got out of the Marines, I made it into the academy, I've, I'm, I made it out of the academy, I've got my assignment, baby, I'm starting tomorrow. That's it. And I think, you know, this couple had gotten so used to, yeah, you just play the numbers, do your thing, pick, give your $2, whatever it is, but didn't realize what was at stake. And think about what's at stake for us. What is your soul? It's interesting when you do an in-depth study on it because there's a lot of different meanings for the word soul in the Bible. It's used in a lot of different ways. And we, um, there's even a lot of just traditional thought in what the soul is. In the Old Testament, the soul was, the word soul is used 750 times, and it means life or possessing life or the inner life, the, and it means wind or breath or moving air. 
or empowered by God. And the, use, the word soul is used interchangeably for emotions and life-giving breath. And it's, it can be a little confusing when you read about it. Some people think that the soul is separate from the body and the soul separates from the body. Some scholars think that's not a biblical precedence. It's all kind of combined and it, transi it transitions. Who knows, really? In the New Testament, the word changed. The Greek word is psyche for soul. And the word in the New Testament means kind of um, your living being, the mix of your mind, body, flesh, spirit, the total person. Who knows? But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 says, Dust returns to the ground, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. So I don't know what the soul is, other than it's part of us that God ignited, that God started. And I do know that we will be, our soul will stand before God. In what form? Who knows? But when you read this passage here in 1 Corinthians 15, if you could turn over there, in verse 42, people were arguing with Paul as they often did about the resurrection. And our whole faith is based on the fact that there's an afterlife, there's a judgment, there's an accountability, and there is an eternity and a thing that goes beyond these 77 years, 80 years, however long you live. And so the whole chapter, verse 15, is about the next life, the resurrection, judgment, a new body, a transition. You can go back and read the whole thing. And he says at the beginning, if there is no resurrection, we're to be pitied more than all men. What are we doing this for? Why are we denying ourselves? Why are we holding? Who, really? Like, come on. And it says in verse 42, we'll just read these verses here, 42 to 54. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. Right? It is raised imperishable. So how that's going to happen, nobody knows. But the fact is, it says in the first part of the chapter, according to the scripture, it says over and over again, this is a fact. It is sown in dishonor. No matter how much you exercise, how much green drinks you have, the body cells disintegrate. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, Paul says, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written. This is really cool. The first man, Adam, became a living being. And there's... Um, you know, that what we talked about, Genesis 2-7, God breathed life into Adam. The last Adam, talking about Jesus being crucified, buried, and resurrected, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. Check this out. The second man was from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And he's saying everybody's physical, everybody's going to die, everybody's going to go the route. As it is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That gives me so much encouragement and so much hope 
that when you decide to follow Jesus and put your faith in him and follow him and repent of your sins and be baptized and then live faithful to him to the best that you can and putting your faith in the scriptures and the promise of the scriptures, then you become those who are of heaven. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be those who are just of the earth. Though I'm on the earth, we're on the earth, and we have to follow the same route, the dishonor, the weakness, and everything else. I don't want to be just of those that are just of the earth. I want to be of those till I get to see God, those who are of heaven. You know, when I pray for my kids, I pray often with them, God, help them love you, fear you, obey you, teach their kids to love you, and help them love you till they breathe their last breath. Whether they do that or not, it's up to them, but that's my prayer in front of them and privately, but especially in front of them. Help them as they mature as people to be faithful to you, to love you till their last breath. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. You go, what does that mean? I don't know. It just sounds really cool. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will, we will be changed. So what's the soul? I don't totally know. I just know we'll be changed if we're of those of heaven. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The dust returns to the ground, but the spirit returns to the God who gave it. What a great, great comforting thought. To th you know, think about this. What's your soul worth? Matthew Henry, a famous scholar of old, said the fundamental error of sinners, meaning why they don't repent, is the undervaluing of their own souls. They don't realize what's in them, who God destined them to be. And I think Satan does everything he can to make us undervalue our own souls, even if we're in Christ. And without even trying, we go to cruise control. Without even trying, we forget about, hey, we're supposed to have our heart into this. We're supposed to be engaging on a, on a whole complete person level. This is not something we just do one more day a week than the next guy. This is our existence. And when we undervalue the power of our souls, the importance of our souls, the priority of our souls, then we start drifting and the world becomes more attractive and we just wear a religious covering. Matthew 16, 25 and 26 says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. If we want to take care of our souls, if we want to affect other people's souls, there's a dying that has to take place. There is a shedding of skin that has to take place. Jesus says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? And I love this last scripture. It's rhetorical. It's to make us think. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
If you had died yesterday, what would you have hoped for today? You know, think about this, what people live for. Isaiah says this, why spend money on what is not bread and, and your labor on what does not satisfy? What a great question because we have to live on this earth. But he, he makes us think or at least tries to get us to think, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy the soul? Listen, the prophet says, listen to me, eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear, he says. Come on, open your ears. Come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. You know, we have about 40 years of work, maybe, maybe 50, who knows. But why, why make it that's the best, as good as it gets? Why spend your money on just things and your parents? You know, I was talking with Michelle and the girls about the soul and just how much energy we put on what we can see in the mirror and what other people can see. But what about energy for the soul? It's so valuable. John Bunyan said this, the soul is such a thing, so rich and valuable in its nature that scarce one in 20,000 people counts of it as they should. He says it's so valuable but it's hard to find one person in 20,000 that cares about their own soul, let alone the souls of others. Don't waste your life spending it on things that really don't matter. And I'm not just talking possessions. I'm talking about who you are, the whole person, because it'll never satisfy. Two simple points to take away today. One, care for your own soul. It is up to you to care for your own soul. I love this verse right here. This is a very short letter. You can imagine on a little, just a little piece of paper. The book of 3 John, it's one page, not even a full page. But he's talking to this guy, Gaius, Gaius, and he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. You can imagine this personal letter. And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. So he's saying, hey, I, I hope you're enjoying your good health. And I hope life's going good because I know your soul is getting along well. How's your soul getting along today? You know, I have this um, illustration here for you. It's a watering can, as you can tell. And uh, I really wish we had self-watering in our plants, you know, the little strip thing, because I don't like to have to go out and water because it takes a while. And then I try to pour it too fast and it comes over the edge. And... But, um, you know, you do it, and the plants look really nice. The patio stays nice, and it's something you have to do almost every day. In the heat, you definitely have to do it every day. It goes from good to bad quickly. But I have something else in my pocket. This is a thimble. For uh, those in the 21st century, this was something people used to use that you put over your finger. That's what I do when I'm sewing. And uh, <laughs> you uh, use it so you don't stick your finger while you're sewing. I, I, don't, I personally don't need it because I'm so good at sewing. Um, <laughs> But this is the thimble. Michelle said, why are you bringing it? They can't see it. That's the point. How are you, how's your soul coming along? How are you watering your soul today? Thimble? Watering can. I mean, think about it. If you were thirsty and somebody wanted to help you there with some water in the desert, watering can, thimble. 
This won't do anything for the plants. It's so small. This could do something for the plants. And our soul doesn't just get along and go along well by itself. It takes energy and it takes effort. If you're not watering your soul or you're just coming to church only, keep coming to church. But if you're just coming to church, it will not, your soul will not get along well. You can go a long time putting on the face. Hey, 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 hi, hey. You can do that for a long time. You can give your contribution. You can sound humble. You can look generous. You can help someone out to the car with their stuff. But your soul is very personal to God. And your soul is very personal to you. And no one knows what you're doing with your soul but you and God. So if you're not taking time and your times with God are only a thimble, just getting a little time with God. Oh, yeah. Whew. Filled up. If you're not drinking deeply of the word, if you're not praying, if you're not being open about your heart, if you're not making sure that your soul is getting along well, then your soul's withering just like a plant that you watered with just a thimble versus a watering can. And we need to work hard and work together. Teens, you can start with a thimble. I really want to encourage you. Build some good spiritual habits now that will carry you into your lifetime. Even if you just spent five minutes to ten minutes a day praying and reading a verse. Reading a verse, praying. Meditating on a verse, which means you just read it and then think about it over and over again. And praying. Praying on your knees, praying in the car, praying with your parents, praying by yourself, praying while you're laying on your bed, praying when you get up, praying when you get ready. There's a lot of ways you can pray. But if you just build some good routine, then as you mature, your soul will mature, and it will be getting along well. This quote says, your own soul is your first and greatest care. How is your soul care today? We talk about self-help. We talk about self-care. We talk about self-image. And so on. And taking care of ourselves. How is your soul care today? It's really up to us to care for our own souls. And if we're not strong enough to do that, then have the humility to say, would you help me? Would you meet me for prayer? Can we pray on the speakerphone on my commute every day? Because I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. And I know in time I will be, but I'm not. Or I'm doing it, and it's just words. It's bouncing. And I know God hears it, but something's going on in my heart. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? But our soul care is so important. Because if we're not taking care of our own soul, how can we care about anyone else's? If we're not valuing our own soul, how can we value anyone else's? Tell me your routine for soul care, and I'll tell you how important your soul is to you. You know, there was a story about a ship's captain, and uh, he was uh, going across the Atlantic, and the ship's captain, he, you know, was getting, sitting down for a meal, and he was, had a, several of the passengers around him, and he started talking with one of the guys that was sitting there, and so they're like, so captain, you know, you've crossed the Atlantic many times. This is a dangerous thing. What's it like? He goes, oh, I've seen some bad stuff. Well, tell us some of the stories, Captain. I, I want to know. He goes, well, there was one time, probably the worst time ever for me. He said the guy was in the engine room and he was moving the stick and the stick broke. And he pulled the stick out to go fix it. And when he pulled it out, he ripped out a whole piece of the ship 
or of the boat, and water just started rushing in. And he kind of panicked. And rather than going and closing the proper door that he was supposed to, he got flustered, and he didn't. And like overnight, I mean, oh, just in a minute, the ship just started filling with water, where the captain went, oh my gosh, this went bad fast. And that's often how accidents happen, bad fast. And he said, you know, they quickly got a lot of the passengers off on the different uh, lifeboats, but the ship was going down. It's nighttime. It's the rough Atlantic Sea. It's cold. It's dark. There's nobody around. Him and his crew are trying to get on their lifeboat, but the sea is too choppy. It's too dark. The ship is going down. True story. And he's panicking. He's like, what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to get in this lifeboat, and the ship's going down. And he sees in a distance another ship. And so quickly he says to his men, go find a lantern now. And so they're running around. Water's coming on. They find a lantern with a candle this big. And he goes, match. And everybody's like, and everyone's wet too. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little problematic. And find a match. And so they go running around and sure enough, they found one match that was dry. And so these sailors quickly give it to him, give it to him. And they hand it down the line to the captain to put it on him, trying to keep it dry and trying to get it lit. So they hand it to the captain. The captain lights the one match. And all the sailors quickly open their jackets to cover the flame. And he lights the small uh, lantern and he starts shaking it and does his thing and they get saved. They, they come over. And it was interesting. The captain said this, I faced many a difficulty and danger, but I had never, ever felt such responsibility as that moment when I had to strike the match. Why? Because there was so much value in that one match. It's your, it was the only one. There was only one, and it was the only one. And the story is, that's like our life. You got only one. And only, you got one and only one. And if it's misdirected or lost or wasted, there is no second match. God lit it in you. You decide whether you're going to keep it aflame or not. And I thought, what a great illustration for the value and the importance of our soul. Finally, we've got to care for the souls of others. We've got to have self-care, soul care, taking care of our own souls, but we've got to care for the souls of others. You know, I was in Costco yesterday, and uh, I don't like Costco. I love Costco because there's some good values if you have self-control. If not, it's all psychological. They have these big baskets. You feel envy of everybody else filling their basket. You buy things you'll never, you know, they throw the mayonnaise out, a 10-gallon thing of mayonnaise, you know. But I do like it for a few items. So if I can be disciplined to pick up the few items and get out, I did do some extra buying yesterday. But I called Michelle and I put most of it back um, just to get, you know. But I, was, I, I felt in there um, lots of crowds. I, in fact, I joke that one lane is the 405. You're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And some people are just leisurely... And you're like, move! Not out loud, inside. I'm sure, I'm sure there's been some lawsuits for, broke, for bruised ankles and all kinds of things. But you know, one of the things I realized, Steve did a great lesson on Tuesday about uh, us, called the commission condition, right? Is that condition, commission? Commission condition. Commission condition. The condition of the commission. Just that many of us have gotten numb to the great commission. We intellectually believe it, acknowledge it, but it's not really 
You know, when you commission an officer, they're like, okay, that's my mission. And I get all the reasons why. And so do you. But it was really good. So it made me more aware of sharing my faith along life's way. So that was Tuesday. Then I went to the car wash right after that. I met a guy there. He's like, yeah, I really need something like that. He gave me his number. Then Thursday, I went in the gym for 20 minutes. Met a guy. He goes, it's kind of funny you're talking to me. And I'm thinking, no, it's not funny at all. He gave me his number and says he wants to come out with his wife. Then I met another guy. He said, yeah, I just finished law school and I just moved here. All in about 15 or 20 minutes. I work out fast. That's why I'm huge. And, uh, and then uh, yesterday at Costco, I'm like, I don't like people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I do like people, but at the moment, I'm like, I don't like people. Move away. You know? I just want to get out of here. It's just take, and I just realized that by the end of the, that I saw all these people, but I didn't see anybody. I was just looking through people. Like, they were in the way. Like, I didn't care. You ever felt that? I cared about getting out of there. And so I felt convicted, and I just was dutiful. You know, I'm like, all right, Marco, we just, the commission, condition of the commission, you're supposed to be, come on, come on. So I shared with the lady at the register, you know, the 11th hour, right? As I'm and she's like, yeah, I gave me your number. I texted her about today. I mean, it was just good for my heart to be reminded that literally just a long life's way to see the crowds. And in the crowds, there's an irritant, but to see the people. It says Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, so if you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying it to you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's say that together. Ready? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's say it one more time to get it in our hearts. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers Who's the workers? I am. You are. Who's he talking to? Us. You know, I appreciate many people here that are great workers in this area. Lisa Payne is an awesome worker in this area. She was over at her house yesterday and she was just telling me about different people she's friends with and reaching out to. And I told her then that she's just so good at that. And then I later told Michelle, I go, man, Lisa's just so good at reaching out. Lisa's already going into guilt mode. No, I'm not. I, there's many on, many on soul, the soul's path that I have let fall astray. Just take the encouragement. It's biblical. But I appreciate it. She's a good friend to people. She gets in there. She cares. She's constantly reaching out to people. The van pool. She's got a, you know, a, a self-contained situation there for a while. But it's not just that. It's just who she is. It's a gift she has. Appreciate Betty Collins. Anytime I meet somebody, I go, if I just text Betty, Betty, I met this woman, Susan. Uh, the woman that gave blood actually gave me her number once to come to midweek this Wednesday. So people are open everywhere. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, you know. And I know if I text Betty, Susie's number, whoever it is, Betty will follow up right away. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What are we supposed to do? Pray. God, send me out. God, make me aware. God, help me see past the crowds to the people. God, just let me connect with one. What are we supposed to do? Care for the souls of others. Pray about it every day. Talk to somebody every day. I mean, literally, if I combined all the time that I spent evangelizing this week, it was almost nothing. It was just giving blood, getting some brownie mix at Costco and a lot of other stuff I never went in there for. The car wash, the gym. 
all along life's way. All the same places you go. We've got to follow up with people. Often I'll meet people and I just forget about them. Isn't that bad? Think about what God thinks about that. I gave them to you, but I, I can't forget. I've got to put electronic reminders in because I forget about people. And let's just be aware of who's around us and care enough to share with just one person. Let me just close here with this story, and then we're going to take communion together. There was a uh, shepherd, and it was, uh, he, you know, counted his sheep. It's late at night. It's dark outside. And he goes, and that's a sheepdog right there, border collie. And that border collie is actually giving the shepherd something called the eye or, quote, unquote, the stare. That they literally stare at the sheep to go move. <laughs> Seriously, go look it up. Steve, I know you already knew that. Yeah, your dogs do the same thing. They've done it to me. They've, that's why I stay back. Because that's, I get, you know, I know my limits. And Bella's giving me the stare. She's tried to lick me. But the snow was falling fast, and he knew, hey, we're three sheep short. And these dogs are super loyal and will put their lives above, or the sheep's lives above themselves. And so, and he was so well-trained that he just told the border collie, it's snowing, it's getting totally dark. He just put his finger out and he went, go! And the dog ran out into the darkness, came back with one of the sheep. It's one, now there's two. Sends him out again, go! He was so well-trained. Went out again, now gone longer. Now it's dark, now it's snowing heavy. Came back with the second one. Then he told him again, go! Went out again a third time. This time he came back and there was some blood and he didn't give it much thought on why or what the blood was, but he was happy he got the third sheep back, got everything in the barn, closed the door, the dog went in. The next day he came in, the dog was dead. And what he didn't know was the dog had fought with wolves to get the third sheep and had gotten injured, but brought the, brought the sheep back and then it passed away in the night. You know, that's what Christ has done for us. He's sent us out like lost sheep. And we've got to ask ourselves, should a dog be more faithful to his master than a human being to Christ? Should a dog be better trained to his master than a human being that's been entrusted, been gifted with their own soul being saved, and then been given the gift of helping others as a sinner have their soul be saved. We've got to be willing to go out in the world and brave the danger, the criticism, the difficulty, the frustration, and be loyal and true to our master so that we can be faithful to him to our last breath. Amen? Amen. Let's, as we go out today to share, let's not just go out today. Let's change our lifestyle, even if it starts out as duty. It'll quickly change to the heart because God cares that we care. Amen? We're going to take communion right now. And I just want you to meditate on this verse. For the soul to be activated, for the soul to be all that it has to happen, it's like I said at the beginning, there has to be a death that takes place. There has to be a separation. There has to be a cost. There's a sacrifice. And just like you take a kernel of wheat or of corn or anything else and you put it under the soil and it rots, the outside, of the outside part rots, it's what's in there. It's what's in the cell, what's in the DNA of that seed that really is what it's meant for. And that's what's in the DNA of us. So as we take communion, let's think about that today. Jesus, 
died so that we could live. Jesus died so that we could die and others could live. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for this time that we could be together. Thank you for this beautiful day. I know it's a little warm today, but it's good to be uncomfortable from time to time. Father, help us be willing to die to ourselves, our sadness, our distractedness, our struggles, our whatever is in our lives that keep us from either caring for our own soul or caring for the souls of others. Father, it doesn't take much to care, just a little bit. Help us care the way you care. Give us that kind of heart. And help everyone that's visiting today be motivated to find you, to let us help them if they want help, and to care about their own soul being well with you. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for the resurrection. We don't know how it works. We just know it's going to happen. And it's a mystery. And we're ready for you, God. Help us be the men and women you want us to be. And thank you so much for the blood of Jesus. May we celebrate it right now. In Jesus' name, amen.